Welcome to Element. My name is Trevor. I'm a deacon here at Element. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't have one, please go ahead and take one. If you forgot yours, you can go ahead and use one. And there are sermon notes on the four corners of the room. If you've got a smartphone, you can get an app on there called Uversion. Uh, click on the live menu option. Your phone's GPS will help you get the sermon notes for today. <clears throat> please stand with me as we read from God's Word. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Let's pray. Father God, this morning I pray that you would teach us, teach us to understand you a little bit more, to know you, and understand who you are to us. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us to a better understanding of, um, of, of right beliefs. I pray, Lord, that uh, above all, we would be grateful, and um, I thank you for del- delivering us from death. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So we've been in this Jesus series for a while now. Not nearly as long as we were in Genesis, though. <laughs> You've had Aaron and a handful of others every other week. And for the most part, we've kind of had the freedom to talk about those characteristics of Jesus that inspire us the most. Today, I'm talking to you about Jesus the healer. We'll be talking about Jesus through this Jesus series through the middle of uh, next month, January. However, as you probably well know here at Element, uh, it's not that uncommon for us to just talk about Jesus all the time, in spite of the fact that we're in the Jesus series. Uh, The next series is called The Sermon on the Mount. Guess what? Guess who delivered it? Jesus. So there's more and more Jesus. Uh, And I've actually heard that uh, Aaron's going to be preaching through Sermon on the Mount until the middle of 2016, I think. (laughs) Back to today. We're talking about Jesus, the healer. Before we dive into some scripture on that, I want to talk about, uh, I want to take some time to talk to you a little bit about my testimony. And that really just means I'm going to share with you a little bit of my story. But first, I have two important words I want to talk to you about. They're churchy words that some people either don't like or don't understand. The first one is theology. Theology is just a study of God. It's that simple. We do it every week here at Element. Theology is this fancy Greek word that just means the knowledge of or the study of God. The second word I want to talk to talk to you about is doctrine. Doctrine is even simpler. It's simply a belief or a collection or a set of beliefs. So don't be afraid of those words anymore. So if you pursue the knowledge of God by reading his word, getting to know his people, and you end up with a collection of right beliefs about him, you've studied theology, and you've ended up with a good doctrine of God. Friends, when you think about God... And whom he is to you, when you consider Jesus and are grateful for his sacrifice on the cross, that it cleanses us, makes us clean, when you seek the Holy Spirit's strengthening every day, when you look to the word to hear from our Lord, you're admitting that doctrine matters, whether you realize it or not. And it's important that we know now that we we should investigate what we believe about God, his son and his word so that we are prepared for suffering in crisis. 
We can't get away from it. It's going to happen. You can't think it won't happen to you. We might hate those words, doctrine, theology. We, however, we might hate words like pain and suffering a little bit more. But that doesn't make them any less important or any less true. The Father is our creator. The Father chose to send his Son to die on the cross to atone for our sins. The Holy Spirit is the believer's source of power. The Bible is God's inspired word. These are just doctrinal statements, collections of beliefs. So why this little school-like lesson? Well, two reasons. The first one is that I simply love theology. I really do. And I'll get into that a little bit in a second. But more importantly, the second reason is whether we like it or not, on our own, conclusions about the doctrines of the Bible will form our response in times of suffering in crisis. Go ahead and turn with me, if you've got your Bible with you, to Matthew chapter 8 and hold your finger there. We're going to start there in just a minute. It was July 5th this past year that I met Dr. Erickson at the Mission Hope Cancer Center right here in Santa Maria. We walked into that appointment, Deanna and I, after I'd had pneumonia for about a month. My regular doctor had seen some things in my blood work that were concerning to him, and so off I was sent to this hematologist-oncologist. Sitting in that doctor's office at 8 in the morning, we had no idea what was in store for us. Dr. Erickson wasn't quite ready to confirm anything yet. He needed to do what's called a bone marrow biopsy. And yes, that's as absolute horrible as it sounds. Later that afternoon, Dr. Erickson called us at home to inform us that I I indeed did have acute myeloid leukemia, or AML for short. I was shocked. It's kind of like this large explosion goes off right in your face. You don't feel the heat of the explosion, but you feel the shockwave of it. We We were very stunned. And then before I realized it, a whole bunch of things happened. It just happened. I didn't even realize what was going on. The first one, Dr. Erickson, immediately started trying to get me a bed at UCLA or at Stanford. Apparently, I was sick enough right then to need treatment right away. And Deanna and I had to figure out what we were going to do with our four kids, what we were going to do with our dog. That's important, by the way. Mostly because it's not a cat. (laughs) Later on that afternoon, Dr. Erickson called us at home to let us know that he'd gotten me into UCLA, and that's where we were going to be heading. And actually, we needed to be there bright and early the next morning. Then a bunch of other things happened. I'll slowly remember some of them over the next few days and weeks and months. The next few days really were quite a blur. Before I knew it, I was admitted and in a bed on the Leukemia Lymphoma Wing at UCLA. By the way, that's one of the top programs in the country for what I needed treatment for. My initial treatment started right away, and that was basically a double concoction of chemotherapies, and they poisoned the heck out of me for a week straight. I ended up being there for a month for the whole collection of treatments, but I went home a different man. I had a couple more bone marrow biopsies while I was down there, and actually by mid-August, a month and a half later, they were talking remission. Basically, the initial treatment is meant to destroy my immune system all the way down to the bone marrow, 
which the bone marrow is basically your immune system's factory. And then as I recover, they're hoping that they've killed off all the cancer, and they basically wait and see if they did. Guess how they check to see if they got it all? Another bone marrow biopsy. Let me tell you what a bone marrow biopsy is. Without all the gory details, they drill a hole into my pelvis and extract bone marrow. Bone marrow. And it's sent off to the lab, and they check it for all sorts of things like midichlorians and blast cells and things like that. Did I mention the bone marrow biopsies are horrible? They are horrible. But that's not all. Uh, now, after they put you in remission, then they set up this plan of treatment to keep you in remission, and that is done with yet more chemotherapy. It was then that I sort of started this round and round of spending a week in the hospital at UCLA, getting chemo, and then home for a short rest, and then back to UCLA for the recovery period. Now, if you've had cancer, or if someone close to you has had, has had cancer, you might look at the way my treatment plan has gone and be confused by that. A lot of people, you might be used to seeing uh, your loved ones or yourself treated even right here at Mission Hope in Santa Maria, and then you spend a lot more time at home recovering. Um, that's different, basically, from my kind of leukemia. The gist is, with other cancers, uh, the state that they put your body into after they poison you with the chemo is called neutropenia. Uh, and that's basically a side effect for most cancer patients. For the leukemia patient, neutropenia, the immune system that's toast, is kind of the goal. And since they're treating, uh, excuse me, since they're targeting that very place where the immune system is generated in the bone marrow, um, I'm, I'm in a pretty dangerous kind of condition while I'm recovering from these rounds of chemo. So they take me back into the hospital to make sure that I don't get even the tiniest bit sick. So even just a little cough, which is an over-the-counter medication for you, could mean uh, near-death pneumonia for me when I'm in that state. They call it neutropenia. So I've basically been doing this since July 5th of this last year. And I just finished, actually, my last round of chemo and hospital recovery time on December 16th, barely two weeks ago. And it's been quite a whirlwind. And I skipped over a whole bunch. I skipped over all the family and the gospel communities that have been taking care of our kids, coming into our home so the kids can have a regular routine. I didn't mention the part about all the meals being made to help offset the burden for those who were taking care of the kids. I didn't talk about the little handyman things that were being taken care of in my house. I've been out of it for six months, not really able to climb up on a ladder and do things like that. This, they've continued to be taken care of. We got new, new uh, smoke detectors that were installed just a couple rounds ago. Um, they've been taken care of, and it's been you guys. Nothing was said about the thousands of dollars given to us to help bridge the gap between when my sick time ran out at work and my long-term disability kicking in. I also didn't talk about the fear my kids felt at the realization that their dad might be dying. Nor did I bring up my own feelings laying in a hospital bed 24 hours after sitting at my kitchen table praying with Pastor Aaron. Part of what I'm talking to you about today has a lot to do with what didn't happen as I wrestled with the reality that I had cancer. You know what didn't happen? I didn't get angry at God. I didn't ask God why. 
and I'm trying to not waste my cancer. And look, I'm not trying to brag when I say that. Hear me when I say this. That's not the point. The point is, God has blessed me with a passion to know Him and study His Word. And in so doing, God has blessed me with enough right doctrine to not find myself freaking out in the midst of cancer. Now, if you've struggled or questioned God in the midst of suffering, please don't think I'm saying there's anything less of you. King David himself cried out to God. What I'm saying is, is that we can have a deeper understanding of Jesus than even David ever did. This side of the cross. And proper theology and doctrine will teach us to weather the storms in a completely new way. Now let's shift gears and look at a few times that Jesus healed some people. You should have already turned to Matthew 8. If not, catch up. Verse uh, one, 1 through 3 here in Matthew 8. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Look, the point there is not just about the healing or the, of the sickness. It's to show that Jesus, Jesus makes things that are unclean, clean. God with us, Emmanuel. That's a Christmas theme, right? Emmanuel, who was and is the word of God, chooses to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That is, make us clean. A few verses down the road there in Matthew 8, 14 and 15. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. A little side note here about um, good doctrine. It must mesh well with scripture. You don't come up with good doctrine on your own. You don't come up with good doctrine from a gut feeling you have. That's probably last night's spicy food anyway. In order to have good doctrine, it must be bathed with the word of God. In order to have a good collection of beliefs, that's good doctrine. See, having a good understanding of Scripture will provide a strong foundation for good doctrine. So we're here looking at Peter's mother-in-law. She has a fever. Obviously, medicine was a lot different back then, so she couldn't just take Advil to help it go away. But even today, as I mentioned in my own circumstance, there are times when the tiniest little sickness, having a little fever, can be very, very dangerous. Well, in that time, it was for her, for sure. When I look at the story arc of this little piece of a time when Jesus healed someone, to me, it looks like Jesus is reminding us that he cares deeply for his disciples and their suffering and their sadness. So Jesus chooses to to heal Peter's mother-in-law. He does for her what she cannot do for herself. What does she do right after? she immediately gets up and serves him. And what is that? It's an act of worship. Now turn with me to Mark chapter 1. The next book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark. First chapter, verse 35. We're going to go through 39. 
And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So here we are at the end of the first chapter of Mark, and we find Jesus. He's been healing people. That's what was going on in the verses right before 35 where we started. And right at 35, Jesus gets up and he goes, goes to pray in secret. He wants to be alone. He'd spent the whole day before healing people of all sorts of things. It's got to be exhausting. Simon and his pals, when they get up in the morning, they go looking for him. And when they find him, they say, everyone is looking for you. I'm sure word had gotten out, hey, there's this rabbi, he's healing people, I can get my leg fixed. People are coming to him in mobs, right? So to recharge and refocus, Jesus had taken some time to be alone with God. And now these handful of followers that Jesus has, they're telling him, hey, people are looking for you. What does Jesus say in response? This, to me, is the most remarkable part of this particular healing story. He said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. That's why I came. That's why I'm here. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about people's suffering or afflictions. We've seen that. He does. We know he does. But he's here for a bigger purpose. He's here to heal us of the cancer that is our sin. Look, the collection of beliefs that we have matter. Our doctrine matters. It's important that we investigate now what we believe about God and His Son and His Word so that we are prepared for crisis and suffering. I wasn't angry at God. I didn't shake my fist up in the sky. I didn't demand anything of God. Sure, I prayed for healing. I continued to do so. And sure, I was fearful. I'm still hesitant to celebrate too much. I'll probably always have a little fear that the leukemia could return. But I serve a great God. My God is more powerful than leukemia. Some of my fears were about being a dad and a husband. How will my sons be raised to become men? How will my wife and daughter continue to be cherished, cared for? Who will walk my daughter down the aisle? But who am I to demand of God that I'm the only tool He can use to do so? As if the Creator of the universe needs me to care for my wife and my kids. He's simply chosen to do it thus far. But He can do it another way if He takes me home now. Turn to Romans 8 for me real quick. Romans chapter 8. Keep turning to the right for Mark. 8, 16, and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified in him. A few verses further, verse 30, still in chapter 8. And those whom he predestined, he also called. 
And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's that word again, glorified. Or the big long church version, glorification. In this context, all it really means is to receive resurrected bodies. It means to now be perfect like Christ, free of brokenness, sickness, any blemish, and sin. The first verse we read today, Revelation 21.4, says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. By doing all of that, by wiping away tears and eliminating death and mourning and pain, he isn't just removing the discomfort. It's not the goal. Yes, he cares about our, about our pain, but he cares about our sin even more. And by removing all of that, he's stepping into our broken world and doing for us, again, what we cannot do for ourselves. Delivering us from the consequences of sin. He's reversing the curse. Receiving God's grace at the cross, I now look forward to a time in eternity when I'll receive a resurrected body, free of an inverted 16th chromosome that led to my leukemia. And whether God chooses to glorify this body sooner than later, I have chosen to accept his will. I've chosen to let go of the idea that I am the only one who can care for my family. God's so much better at it than I am anyway. God chooses to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He makes us clean again. He heals us, ushering us into a forever relationship as his children. God's the better father. This is one of the reasons why we do communion every week. It's, it's where we remember Jesus died for us, what Jesus did for us, excuse me, and that what we couldn't do for ourselves as a sacrifice on the cross, dying for our sins. He heals us, reconciling us to God again. You break the cracker like his body was broken for you and I, and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice, reminding us of his blood that was shed for us so that we can be healed. Now, the mini band is going to come on back up now. There'll be some deacons and our elders in the back, and maybe you're in need of some prayer for healing from suffering or pain or the consequences of sin. Go pray with them. That's what they're there for. We've got our offering boxes on the side walls and in the back. And we give because God has given so much to us. And giving is a part of our worship. There'll be some food in the back, of course. This is element still. So grab something to eat. Meet someone else. We want to foster an environment that helps you get to know others. And that leads to shared life. That's what we call gospel communities around here. Where much of what we call church happens. That's why we're always trying to plug you into gospel community groups. Let's pray.
Father God, thank you so much for the true gospel-oriented shared life communities that we have here at Element that have risen up to care for one another in so many different ways. Thank you for blessing us with those groups. Thank you for blessing us to be a part of those groups. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us as we study your word, guide us to have a good, solid understanding of who you are, and help us to discover the right beliefs that you desire for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us, caring about our pain and our suffering, and when we're in the midst of crisis. But above all, Lord, thank you for healing us from our sin. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.